This episode is the last of a three-part series I'm doing on the long-term effects of childhood trauma in adults. This will be the most difficult of the episodes for me to share since it was a period of extreme mental and physical anguish to the point that I thought I could no longer go on. Through God, I most certainly did, and I am better and stronger than ever today because of these extreme trials. I hope this episode comforts and encourages you if you are going through such a painful season as this was for me. You are not alone. I and many others who've walked this painful road are with you on this journey. You can and will not only survive, but thrive on the other side of healing. Hello, beautiful soul. Welcome to Your Story is a Legacy show. My name is Rosanna Jackalone, and I'll be your host, your life story guide, your legacy coach, your spiritual healer and friend. This show will help you get inspired and give you resources and practical tips so you can craft and tell your unique life story for yourself, your children, and generations to come. I bet you were asking, well, how will this show make my life better? It will do that by first, helping you to get to know yourself more deeply, and in the process, learn your passions and the unique gifts you bring to the world. Second, it helps you get through transitions, things like job loss, marriage, childbirth, relocation, even things like divorce. It also helps you heal by turning traumas in your life into triumphs. And finally, it helps you create a legacy to leave for yourself, your family, and future generations. If that sounds good to you, let's begin our journey together. In this episode, I'm about to live out all of my dreams with you, and then the ultimate crash. So let's start with the dreams. My health was great, my beautiful family was growing, and it now included nine nieces and nephews. I had a rich social and cultural life with my best friends, traveled frequently to many places on my bucket list, my media career was soaring, and I had reached the top of the career ladder I'd been climbing, and I loved my work. I was in a wonderful church community, and I also met the man of my dreams. Goodness, it felt like everything in my life had finally fallen into place. We were so in love and had so many things in common 
from our humble beginnings to our interests and the fire in our bellies. I was on cloud nine. The engagement proposal was magical. It seemed like there was fairy dust everywhere. I felt like a princess, even though I was not a 20-year-old getting married. Since I was older and always wanted to have children, we tried to get pregnant through in vitro while we were planning the wedding. I had already inherited a wonderful teenage stepson from my relationship, and I thought how perfect it would be for him to have a baby sibling. It felt like the best time of my life. Then the first piece of bad news happened. While I thought my in vitro had been successful, since I had these beautiful pictures of little twin embryos that had been implanted, I was stunned and heartbroken when I found out that the embryos did not make it after we had had other failed attempts. I remember crying my eyes out since the thing I wanted most, the thing that felt most natural to me was being a biological mom. After all, I had the best mom. I loved children more than life and I thought I was created to be a mother. When the pregnancy attempt failed, I thought, well, we'll adopt. After all, we had so much love to give and there were so many wonderful children that need a home and need love. But unfortunately, adoption was also something that was not in the cards in my marriage. I went back to planning the wedding full-time and all the joy surrounding that. We were living the lives we wanted to live together, and this really was such a special time. The only tough part about this life we were living was that we would be moving away from my nuclear family in New York and making a permanent residence down south. We had an apartment in New York, which made it easy to come up and visit, but our house was not in New York, where we held all the family holiday gatherings. I slowly established my new home in the South as a second home, which I loved. I had a new church community. I got to know the city so well. I had a priest I loved. I met some wonderful girlfriends, I started my own business, and I became very involved with philanthropic work. I was having my own little renaissance. <laughs> and then it happened. I had to confront a serious health scare. I received that phone, phone call that would change my life. My whole world stopped. The recovery from the health scare would be a two-year ordeal. Part of dealing with the issue I was dealing with typically leads to something called situational depression. For those who've never experienced depression, it is debilitating. Getting out of bed and putting on your clothes is a major accomplishment. 
I became physically and mentally unrecognizable to myself during this time. I remember thinking if I went to sleep and didn't wake up, I would be okay since I was in such anguish. And if that doesn't sound difficult enough, my married home life suddenly became very unhealthy. We had once been a very supportive, nurturing couple, uh, and home was this great place to get through my medical procedures and recover. And suddenly, home was now an angry boot camp full of things I had to do to be a good wife. What I would also painfully witness is after years of work to successfully overcome the results of childhood trauma and blossom into a place of self-love and self-care, I would regress into the victim days of my childhood. I wondered, how could this happen after all the years and all the work I'd done to create a new foundation? My regular therapist told me a serious illness or trauma can trigger childhood regression and old behaviors. I was experiencing both. So, once again, I had lost my voice and my strength. What did my life look like now? A ridiculous and grueling schedule of traveling to multiple cities to participate in my husband's client meetings, having to perform at peak state when I was in a fragile physical and mental state, and staying in strangers' homes, participating in highly intellectual conversations when my brain was foggy, and the peace that I needed for recovery was fully disrupted. In addition, my husband acted like he did not want to be with me and displayed insulting and hurtful behaviors towards me. I felt too beaten down and heartbroken to fight back or stand up for myself at this point. When he went through his own serious health scare, I both helped save his life and nursed him back to a full recovery. I also demonstrated the exact opposite behaviors. I was nurturing, gentle, devoted, and loving. The behaviors continued through my brother's wedding, his behaviors I'm referring to, and he was traveling more while I was feeling most vulnerable from my health scare. Somehow, it also felt like someone else was living with us under our roof. I could not prove it, but I felt it. I felt it so deeply in my gut. He spent lots of time on the computer with the door closed. He did lots of texting, something he does not do. So the feeling I had kept gnawing at me. The following month, we had planned a big combined birthday for both he and I, and suddenly he canceled that for some illogical excuse. Things seemed to be getting worse at home. He was often cold, 
and distant towards me. Finally, I suggested we get help, either with therapy or with a priest. He turned down both suggestions repeatedly, which left me talking to both my priest and therapist alone. After repeatedly asking him to please come and seek help with me, he finally agreed to see a couples therapist. In our session, he did not tell the factual truth about what was going on. He painted this glowing picture while I presented the version I knew was closer to the factual truth. At the end of that first session, the therapist, who hoped she would be able to work more with us, encouraged us by saying things that sounded good. We loved the session, and he yelled at me outside, saying, I was creating problems that weren't there. I knew that was not the truth, since all I wanted for both of us to do was to return our marriage to what it was. I was certainly willing to do whatever work I needed to do, but I needed him to do the same. I decided I could not continue to push him, and what I learned in retrospect about my mistake here was I should have set a hard boundary saying our marriage needs help, and if you do not get on board with this, I am going to take some time away from our marriage and spend time with my family. I did try to appeal to his heart and his sense of decency, which seemed absence at the time. I would say things like, this is really hurting our friendship, or this could seriously damage the foundation of our marriage. That on its own did nothing to ignite the desire in him to work on our marriage with his own therapy or as a couple. My boundaries had no consequences, and I learned how little boundaries work if you don't give a consequence, and more importantly, if you don't follow through on that consequence. I continued to try to make the best of things, hoping and praying this would pass. After all, there were so many good things I was still trying to remember and focus on. But the gnawing inside of me that someone else was living in our relationship built to such a crescendo I knew I had to approach him. Since it is my job first to trust, I did not want to approach him with an accusation of something I did not know for a fact. So I thought I would ask a question, hoping he could shed some light on what I was feeling. On a side note, I was still trying to forgive him for the behaviors he exhibited during the business trip from hell. I still loved him, and I had vowed when I married him to get through the for better and for worse, so I was not ready to quit trying. I decided I would address the situation at a dinner we were having that night. I asked him if there was anything he would like to share with me or get off his chest. 
He looked me straight in the eyes and without blinking said, no. I asked, are you sure? And he replied, turning the focus on me. Is there something you want to get off of your chest? I tried to add some levity to the situation and I made some funny comment. I knew that was the end of the conversation. A few minutes later, I went to the ladies' room. I was sick to my stomach and I started crying. Somehow I knew in my gut something terrible was going on. I believed my husband was having an affair during my recovery. My heart was broken in a million pieces, but I could not prove it. I only had this pain in my gut. That thing we call God's voice or our intuition. A month later, we planned a wonderful New Year's Eve party at our home with some close friends. I hoped and prayed I could put this all behind us and my old husband would return. The night of the party, he would disappear quite a bit. He would go into other rooms, close the door, away from our guests. When I noticed he was gone for quite some time, I went into the room where he was and asked him what he was doing since he was not with our guests. Before the clock struck 12, he made a beautiful toast to me in front of my friends. After that, he disappeared again. I was sure he was texting someone and actually asked him if he was. Again, he angrily denied it. This uncomfortable feeling would go on another week or so, and then my husband told me he was taking another unessential trip, this time to see some investment properties he'd purchased. I offered to go with him and look at them, and he vehemently refused. I persisted, since I believed at this point he was not going off to any investment properties. He was going off to an affair. He said he did not want me going with him. So of course this raised a huge red flag for me, even though he gave me the most loving card before he left for the trip. That would be the last time I saw him in quite some time since I discovered he was indeed having an affair. It was the ultimate betrayal to me in every way, especially as a devout Christian who waited to walk down the aisle until I could mean and keep all the words of the vows I had taken. I prayed daily and I had to speak to my priest about this since I knew biblically I should and could divorce on the grounds of adultery. But I also knew about the Christian value of forgiveness and restoration. I shared with my priest all we had been through in the past two years. My priest believed I should proceed to a divorce. And as he said to me, it is not just on the grounds of adultery that he is saying that but the fact that my husband had demonstrated a hardened heart in the way he had been treating me, especially when I was sick. 
He could not believe that I allowed myself to endure what I endured while I was recovering from my illness. And then the ultimate betrayal that happened when I was at my weakest and most vulnerable. The divorce was devastating. And that in and of itself could be its own podcast. As anyone knows who truly marries that person they hoped and dreamed they would build their forever life with, divorce shatters that and all of the dreams that went along with that life are also shattered. I thought I was at the lowest of lows and I remember one day trying to cross a main avenue and I just felt like I did not have the strength to move. I thought I would collapse. And then I heard God's voice telling me, get up and walk. And I did. I made it across the street, home and through another day. I thought, again, that was the worst. And I started reminding myself that when you hit the bottom, the only place you can go is up. I was sure I hit rock bottom and I continued to lean into God. But I found out there was going to be even another bottom and things in fact did get worse. I cried with my girlfriend as I packed a few boxes and left the home I was living in. The divorce, which was hard enough, suddenly escalated to such an ugly place. The anguish of all was unbearable at this point, and I called my priest saying I felt like Job in that my spirit was completely broken and crushed, and I felt my eyes growing dim with grief. I did not think I could bear any more pain. And he said to me, it is good that you have leaned in deeper to your faith at this time and have not turned away from God. My priest told me, I must persevere. And dear listeners, I will tell you my own personal apocalypse had occurred in all the areas that mattered to me most in life, my health, my family, with friends that I thought were friends. The only thing that remained unshakable was my faith. I knew I had two choices as I looked at the scorched earth of my life. I could either have a permanent pity party and become bitter and hardened, or I could let love prevail and look at the lessons I have learned from the whole ordeal learn how to use my suffering to help others, and rebuild the next chapter of my life. I chose the latter. And no, it was not easy, but so many blessings have occurred from this. First, my faith has never been stronger. It was God and the love of my family and a few life friends that helped me through this. And it was God that showed me the way to my new life when I surrendered the old one to him. Second, I learned from my priest 
then I must tell my truth. He said my truth would help light the way for many others and help heal them since I am a healer. And indeed, this pain and this truth was born into the mission of my life calling company, which helps people tell their life stories and through the process uncover their truths, learn how incredible they are, and learn the gifts they have to share with the world. In the process of telling their story, they get to leave it as a legacy for their children. The next lesson I learned is it, this experience taught me the importance of forgiveness. And with great humility and self-compassion, I first had to forgive myself and look at the mistakes I had made that contributed to the things that I experienced. Fourth, it showed me who the core group of people in my life are. Fifth, I have had the opportunity to create the second beautiful chapter of my life, which I have been wonderfully living and embracing now for so many years. I continue to look to see where God will lead me, not where my self-will wants to, me to go. <laughs> On my life journey, God continues to reveal more of the gifts he wants me to use in this world. And finally, I'm equally excited to help guide you through your journey and the remarkable place it will lead you. I hope this episode has lifted your spirits, has let you know you are not alone in your darkest hour when you feel like you can't go on another minute. I hope it shows you how God will use your suffering for good if you allow him to. Until the next time, I'm sending you so much light and love. And one last thing before I go, I have added one-on-one -on -one coaching to help you find more time in your life for simple pleasures and passions and help you create a weekly schedule that reflects those, uh, those passions and allows you to, uh, to live a more joy-filled life aligned with your values. I have one coaching spot left in April. To find out more of what's included in the coaching offer or to sign up for the last spot in April, go to www.mymagnusopus.com and get ready to make your life better when you do. If you feel inspired by this show, I would be so grateful if you would leave a review on iTunes or subscribe to the show since I update the topics weekly. And if you feel there are others who would like this show, please take a screenshot of the show, add it to your Instagram story, and tag me at mymagnusopus. Also, I'd like to get to know you, so please join our email list by signing up at www.mymagnusopus.com. You can also join our private Facebook group of like-minded legacy storytellers 
by going to My Magnus Opus Community. Thanks so much for tuning in. May your day be full of abundance in everything you do and keep your head up always. Until next time, I'm sending you love and light. Thank you.